0: You're listening to Cornerstone Conversations, a podcast by Cornerstone in Fort Worth, Texas. My name is Jerry McNair, and today I'm joined by our lead pastor, Bobby Harrell, as we continue our study through the Apostles' Creed. We hope you've been enjoying the weekly content as we supplement the material that's happening and being distributed to us on a Sunday morning here in person at Cornerstone. If you'd like to go back and listen to any of the previous sermons or podcasts, they're all available on our website at Media or on any of the major podcast providers as always we'd love it if you would contribute to the conversation go ahead and text your comments questions and feedback to 817-809-3040 we'll take all of the very best and most applicable content and we'll respond to them in future podcast episodes can't wait to continue our study through the apostles creed and we hope you'll enjoy this week's episode Bobby, I have to say this Sunday's sermon was probably the first time that I've heard a real not Christmas sermon over Mary as the mother of Jesus. I think there's so much, as we like to say, baggage from our Baptist heritage where we try to completely avoid anything that seems remotely Catholic. But in the process of that, we've completely ignored some major Bible characters and someone who's obviously incredibly integral to our faith as believers And Mary, I really appreciate the study and time that you put into us being able to understand who Mary is and why she's so important.
1: There's a lot of women like Mary in the Bible that are completely overlooked. Now, Mary, of course, is very unique because she is actually the bearer of the body of Jesus. God is in her in a physical way in a human body. But I want to say this, there are a lot of women that are ignored. And I think obviously that's done from the churches that have a Mm complementarian view of women and men's roles. i.e., no equality for men and women, Mm -hmm. although they claim they do, they really don't. Right. And I know because I came from there. Yeah. So I can speak very clearly about that stance. And while you say you value women on an equal footing, you clearly don't Hmm. by the way that you've restricted their ability to exercise or even, or even repress their stories. Sure. Right. Sure. Well, that's what I want to say. Really. I'm, I'm saying it maybe in a clumsy way. But there's some incredible women in the Bible we just don't talk about. And Hulda is a fascinating example in the Old Testament. You know, Deborah gets a little billing because she is clearly a very prominent judge. They're singing the song of Deborah. But even Deborah,
0: you hear the argument that the only reason she's in a position of leadership is because there are no capable men surrounding her, which is just categorically untrue. Yeah. Anyway, there's
1: a lot of great women's stories in the Bible that are underutilized as Sunday sermon material and and Mary's one of them Mary's one of them Mary is maybe the most obvious elephant in the room in yeah. this topic because we know she's incredibly integral to the story mm-hmm. yet we can only talk about her in evangelical circles on Christmas seasons, right. because to pull Mary into a July sermon is suddenly now to give her too much prominence in the church. And it smacks of Catholicism and European Christianity. And we just have to be against that because we overreact to anything that looks like that. Right. We're done with that. And that's basically what we said on Sunday. And let's go ahead and set Mary as well as we understand her role back into the biblical narrative and give her the respect she deserves. mm mm-hmm. That she's earned but let's give her the respect that i think she should have in the whole area of christendom but now let's don't go way way out there and say things about mary that are god-like and not substantiated by scripture
0: since you're already mentioning that let me just go and ask this question that one of our listeners sent in to us it says this since the ark of the covenant in the temple was where people went to meet with god in that time then why don't we go to Mary as mediator in prayer, since she was the ark, in quotes, for our Messiah?
1: Okay, so let me recap. If you didn't get the sermon on Sunday, it's going to be hard to answer this question and anything that will make sense without the context of the message. Sure. So let me just back up a little bit and say, I began the message by asking a question, what do you call the area? where God appears to man, because there is a precedence for this in scripture. And then we segued into talking about Mary or the birth of Christ, really from Luke's perspective. Yeah. We can talk about Matthew here in a minute, but solely we dealt with Luke's treatment of the birth of Christ on Sunday morning. Luke, as I showed on Sunday morning, is doing something very, very intentional with his language. Mm Mm-hmm. He has very clearly said, by the way he laid the story out, he says in the intro verses, hey, I've studied all this, I've researched all this, I've interviewed everybody who's essential, and now I'm going to set in order everything that I've learned by my research and from the eyewitness testimony. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's the gospel. Gospel is a story about Jesus. So, you know, the subject matter is the life of Christ, but he doesn't begin the story of Jesus with the story of Jesus. Right. He says, I have to tell you a backstory. Otherwise, you're not going to understand the birth of Christ. And so he goes back six months before the birth of Christ and tells the story of and Elizabeth, mm-hmm. an old man and an old woman doing what they've done all their lives, serving in the temple when he was on duty and just being a man and a woman when they were off duty and yeah. earning their daily bread and living their lives. And they could have no children in a culture where a childless woman is openly mocked and ridiculed. And that was always maybe a shame they bore. They always wanted a child and could never have one. And so Luke takes all this time to give you the backstory and to say, there's going to be a miracle birth of John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. And while Zachariah is ministering in the temple, the angel Gabriel appears and says, I've been sent from God to tell you, you're going to have a son. Big news, breaking. Right. And Zachariah was terrified because when he goes into light the incense in the temple he's in there alone mm-hmm. and suddenly he's not alone and you know if you've ever thought you were alone in a room and turned around and somebody was standing well, it's there terrifying. It's, yeah, it's, yeah and so he's terrified and it's an angel and they're talking and the angel said it's going to be a boy you're going to name him john he's going to be essentially the one to get everything ready for the king that's coming mm-hmm. and this really is the story of the bible yeah king and his kingdom the king is on the way this is the message of the old testament god will send his king to make this world right He's going to fix everything that's broken so the king is on the way and your john your son is going to be the forerunner the one to hey everybody listen up the king is coming the king is coming repent be baptized get your hearts ready that's the role of john the baptist yeah then the story cuts away to galilee and now gabriel appears again six months later and says mary you've found favor with god Blessed are you among women here's what's going to happen you're going to conceive and you're going to bear a son that king that the Old Testament talked about is on the way. And if you're willing, God's gonna do this through you. You're gonna be the bearer of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a king, he's a man. He right. has to come into the world as a man. Mm-hmm. And the way we understand that happens is through the womb of a woman. You have to be born to be alive. And so God says, and here's how I'm gonna do it. She's like, wow, she's a teenager. And she's like, I may not know everything about everything, but when you grow up kind of in this country girl, you do understand animal husbandry. You do <laughs> kind of understand how this all happens. Yeah. And so her terse reply to Gabriel is, how shall this be Seeing I'm a virgin? I mean, I may not know everything about life, but I know I'm a virgin. And I know you don't have a baby if you're a virgin. And then Luke starts using all this Old Testament language. Mm -hmm. And so Gabriel says, God's going to overshadow you.
0: Which, as you explained on Sunday, is a direct parallel to the way that the presence of God overwhelmed the temple with the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. Correct.
1: He showed up in the form of a cloud pillar of fire, a cloud, and it overshadowed the temple and the tabernacle back yeah. in those days. And it was indicative of the king is here. God's presence is in this place. And when it, you saw it that dwells cloud, here. Exactly. It dwells here. And so yeah. Luke is using very intentional Old Testament language. And I can't remember the exact number, but I think there's eight parallels that he uses in describing Mary, and the interaction between Mary and Elizabeth that's coming in a few days here in Judea. When Mary comes into the home, Mary's now pregnant with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth is now pregnant with John the Baptist six months further along than Mary. And when they have the interaction together, Luke is very intentional about saying they're leaping before the Ark of the Covenant. They're shouting with a loud voice. They're praising God. They're worshiping using very Davidic language why should the ark come to me all of these statements are right out of the old testament yeah And so the reason we don't know this is kind of as a sidebar is because we are so New Testament centric in our Bible reading. At the expense of our Old Testament literacy. Correct. Correct. And so because we're not Old Testament literate and we've not saturated ourselves in these stories from the Old Testament, we don't recognize when the New Testament authors are alluding to or directly referencing or quoting or reapplying the Old Testament. It's lost on us because we don't know the Old
0: Testament. Well, and the way that we quote the New Testament is
1: the way that they would quote the Old Testament. That's correct. Certainly every Jewish reader of the book of Luke would certainly recognize what Luke has done. He has painted Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant. Mm -hmm. As contrasted against the Ark of the Old Covenant, she is carrying a very special presence of God in her womb, yeah. much in the way that the tabernacle or the Ark of the Covenant didn't contain, but it had the presence of God in a unique fashion as well.
0: Yeah. So then to the question, it was, you know, in Old Testament times, people would go
1: to where God's presence dwelt, which the is Ark of the Covenant. Well, the Ark is sitting in the tabernacle, right. or in the temple in Jerusalem later in history. Yeah. You couldn't directly go up to the ark that was only reserved for the high priest and only once a year could he go in there Mm -hmm. but you went to the temple or to the tabernacle which is about the same thing you're going right up as close as you can get to the presence of god in
0: order to have access to him to
1: pray to worship to offer a sacrifice to say lord here i am to be in the presence of god to find forgiveness, to find God's blessing. Again, if you knew Jesus was in town, we'd all go flock to see him in a bodily sense. And the presence of God in those days was represented at that tabernacle or temple where the Ark of the Covenant was. And they went to be as close as they could to God.
0: Yeah. So then if Luke is using Mary as a parallel to that, then
1: here's the question now.
0: Yeah. So is she a point of mediation to
1: be able to pray to the
0: father, to have access
1: to God? So before I answer the question, you understand why the Catholic tradition would be to pray to Mary? Mm -hmm. Because they've now taken this maybe to a further degree than the Bible, in my opinion, takes it. Yeah. But they're saying she clearly is being described by Luke as the Ark of the New Covenant, the bearer of the body of Jesus. Therefore, let's make a big deal about that. She's very important. And let's make her holy. Let's keep her holy. And let's reverence her. And I guess here's the point. The question sets us up to go in several different directions here. Should we pray to Mary as a mediator since she is referenced as the Ark of the New Covenant? Let me go back to my original question I asked on Sunday before I directly answered answer what do you call the area how is it described the area around god when he shows up in the old testament the answer is holy
0: holy ground yeah
1: and that's the word congregants were shouting out sunday morning when i posed the question they said if god shows up that's holy ground Mm -hmm. now again our minds immediately go to mount sinai for probably the most famous moment of this verbal exchange between Moses and God. Moses has already done his 40 years of being the Prince of Egypt. Now he's doing his 40 years as a shepherd in the desert. And while he's shepherding, he sees a bush that's burning on Mount Sinai. He goes up, he says, I will turn aside and see this curious thing. The bush burns, but it is not consumed and I'm sure it was just glowing like a beacon on the hill. Mm -hmm. And so he climbs the mountain. And when he gets up to Mount Sinai and he gets into the presence of this burning bush, the voice of God calls out to him and says, Moses, that's really far enough right there. Okay. Listen, take off your shoes for the ground you're standing on is holy. And in our minds, we're painting this picture of Moses, the shepherd slipping off his sandals and kneeling down before the burning bush and God speaking to him. And he's about to be commissioned to go be the, Deliverer, yeah, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and we're gonna have a nice little exchange there. As Moses says, Man, not me, no way, mm-hmm. I left that life behind 40 years ago, you know. And God's like, No, you're the man, and here's what I want you to do. Here's my point with coming to this story if Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai two weeks earlier to that very same spot, what would he have seen? He would have seen a bush poking out of the side of the mountain, somewhere up there on a ledge, yeah, and a bunch of dirt. And a scorpion it would just been a mountain and a bush right because god's presence was not not dwelling there at that moment let me go the other way so let's suppose that moses went back up to mount sinai a week later
0: expecting to still find it
1: expecting the bush to still be on fire and for god to be accessible Mm -hmm. as kind of a hot spot right there where heaven and earth are touching again, if that were true, why don't you and I go get on an airplane and go right now? Because I'd like to go talk to God in a face-to-face manner that way. Absolutely. Lots of questions, get some answers. It would be almost a Christian rite of passage. We would all be going. There'd be millions of people at the mountain right now, Mm -hmm. if the presence of God were still there. So if you go there today, or if you go there a week later, what you'd find is just dirt and rocks not holy ground because God's presence is not there. Now I want to take that and I want to apply it to Mary for a moment because I could do the same illustration with the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, or the temple.
0: Yeah.
1: Because we do know that Solomon's temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed by the invading Babylonian army through the Assyrian invasion, the Babylonian invasion, and ultimately the Roman invasion. You know, they go into exile, they come back, they go into exile, they come back. Well, they've rebuilt between Solomon, the temple being destroyed Mm -hmm. and then the return and when they rebuilt the second temple it was not in glory like the first temple nor did the presence of god inhabit it like solomon's temple yeah so to the jews they still called it holy but it wasn't holy in the same way there was no pillar of fire shooting up through the roof and cloud overshadowing yeah. like it came down at the dedication when Solomon dedicated the old temple. So that was the reality of Israel. There was a symbol of God, but not the real presence and power of God in the way it was. And while they would have still called it holy ground, we would have just said it's a fascinating building with a lot of rich history, mm-hmm. but God's presence is not literally there. Yeah. And I think that's further echoed by the fact that on the afternoon of the crucifixion, when Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost and said, it is finished, we are clearly told that the veil of the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the building shaken and doors are flopping open and you can see right into the holy place. Yeah. And I think you're beginning to get the message that Jesus preached during his earthly visit. He said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. Jesus has clearly shifted the story mm-hmm. and said, I'm the new temple. This building no longer matters. Yeah. This is not the point where God connects with man. I am the point where God connects with man. I am the new temple.
0: So with that understanding, then we can look back to Mary as being with child, with Jesus growing within her. God is physically present in her. Exactly. We can look back at her in that time and know that she
1: was the dwelling place of the presence of God. You see, you're in tension here where you want to say a whole lot, but your evangelical baggage prevents you from saying a whole lot. Yeah. Because I want to say in that moment when God is in her, there's holy ground. And I think that's reasonable. See, I fantasize in a way like this. I think Mary's almost untouchable. How so? When Jesus is in her. Okay. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? The baby Jesus is in her womb. Don't you know that all the guns of evil were focused against her? And don't you know that the legions of heavenly angels were surrounding her?
0: Oh, can you just imagine the will of the father upon her safety?
1: God wants this child to be born. This is his long awaited King coming to set everything right. I can imagine Again, it's conjecture, you know what I'm saying? Right, but But, but rather you can't imagine anything happening. You imagine Michael the archangel is walking step for step right in front of her. Right. I mean, if you want this child, you've got to go through us. Yeah. I mean, it's like the entire Army, Navy and Marines surrounding this young woman who bears the body of God's son. And so, in that moment, what I want to say to answer the question should Mary be looked at as holy and a connecting point with God? In that moment, yes. But the thing is, she didn't stay pregnant forever.
0: Exactly. What made the Ark of the Covenant or the Temple Tabernacle? The, the not, presence what, of God. What made it holy? It was the presence that of God.
1: God's presence dwelt within it. Correct. In a very special way. Yeah. And again, not bodily, but in a supernatural way represented through cloud and smoke and fire, yeah. he was there and they knew he was there. And matter of fact, it could be quite intimidating and terrifying when God showed up in that way in the Old Testament, as we recounted at Sinai, when the people were terrified and said, we're going to go hide in our tents, Moses, you go talk to God. This is too scary for us. Yeah. And what I want to say is yes, but she didn't remain pregnant forever. Right. Nature took its course, and this is the Christmas story. And being great with child while they were in Bethlehem because of the census and the taxation, Mm -hmm. it came to pass that she delivered her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, the Bible tells us. Yeah. And in that moment, that very special presence of I'm not saying God abandoned her. I'm just saying he left her body in a physical way. Yeah. The baby is now a separate entity from Mary. And now his presence dwells wherever he dwells. Wherever he dwells. And then he is crucified, resurrected, and now his presence is wherever his spirit is. Now, there's an incredible teaching of the New Testament, what you just said so quickly. Again, in that moment, the spirit had not come in spirit form the way we know right now. Mm -hmm. This is the upper room discourse, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, where Jesus keeps saying to his apostles, I'm leaving. You're going to be sad. Don't be sad. It's going to be okay. The world hasn't come to an end. Yes, I'm leaving in physical form but
0: my presence is still here
1: in spirit form yeah i'm gonna be in every one of you this is a big change that's happening you're living through some incredible manifestations of god god physically in mary now born as a separate human being Mm -hmm. outside of her womb he grows to be a man god in a human form yeah then he's crucified buried resurrected ascends to heaven and now gives the holy spirit in God in spirit form to live in the hearts of each one of us. And so
0: now our access to him is no longer dependent on us visiting a temple.
1: Or a tabernacle or Mary. Right. Because they're no longer the contact point between heaven and earth. The spirit can take us directly into the presence of God so that every child of God can cry out, father, yeah. Or as the writer in Hebrew says, you can come boldly to the throne of grace and you can pray, bring your request directly to God anywhere, anytime, any place, because now you and I are living icons again. Yeah. We have the spirit of God in us and we are never not connected to God. As long as his spirit and presence dwells within so, you. So should we reverence Mary as a connecting point of God? No. Should we respect Mary? Mary as one of the most important figures in Christendom. Sure, yeah, she's just as important as any as of the other characters. Walking into the tabernacle, absolutely, yeah. and she had an incredibly unique mission in the plan of god and even in the story and the catholics will refer to this quite often when they're singing the songs back and forth and they're talking she says in the magnificent in luke 148 he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant from now on all generations will call me blessed yeah but blessed doesn't mean holy in the sense that we worship mary or mary intercedes like jesus intercedes it just means she's very special in the story of Christianity. Yeah.
0: Well, and a blessing should always point to the gifter of the blessing. Right. Right. And so by her saying people and generations from now will call me blessed. Really, she's pointing to the one who has blessed her. Not it, saying that she is distributing correct. blessing now.
1: Like for Abraham. We don't worship Abraham. Yeah. But again, he will be blessed and then we'll bless all nations through his descendants. Yeah. Again, as you said, the praise and the worship goes to the one who gives the blessing, not the recipient of it. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, she's blessed and yes, she's special. And yes, we ought to make a big deal about her. God chose her. We ought to hold her up as a role model and say, would to God that we were all willing to face incredibly difficult circumstances in order for the kingdom of God to be advanced in the way she did. She really didn't seem to deliberate, but a split second when giving her answer to God through the angel Gabriel, here's what God wants to do. Here's the way it's going to happen. How shall it be? I'm a virgin. Well, here's what's going to happen. And you're going to be with child and a baby's heart's going to be beaten but you're going to have to give your answer. God's not going to do this against your will. And she says, be it according to out hereby, I'm your servant. May everything you said come true. I'm yielding my will to yours. You know, when they take baby Jesus up to dedicate him, there's an old man and an old woman who kind of get caught up in the dedication service. They're introduced as just attenders at the temple, but suddenly they get pulled into the story and before you know it, they're all holding baby Jesus and prophesying, you know, great things. And yeah. one of the prophecies, it says, you know, he's set for the rise of fall many in Israel, and even a sword's going to pierce your own soul, Mary. And I think that's all pointing to, this is wonderful. You're privileged. What a blessing to have a leading role in the way the whole story of the king and his kingdom plays out. You play a leading role, but it's also going to be very painful because you're going to watch him be crucified Yeah. and it's going to rip your guts out when it happens. It's going to tear your heart out.
0: Yeah, so we've been looking at Luke's portrayal and retelling of what we know as the Christmas story, but really, it's Mary's story in this moment in the birth of Jesus. I'd love to look a little bit at how Matthew gives the backstory of Jesus, what his version. Right. I think of the this important is. thing is
1: you said backstory. Yeah. Here's what's unique about both of the birth accounts. Mm-hmm. Neither one launches right into Jesus was born like this. Yeah. They both tell a backstory in order to tell the story. So both Matthew and Luke intended from the beginning to talk about what they believed to be true. Now, Luke and Matthew had to get the details of this story from somewhere. This is also something really interesting to think about where did Matthew and Luke get the details of the birth of Christ because Matthew and Luke were not around for the birth of Christ yeah and I think the two answers you have available to you are from Jesus Christ or from Mary again realizing Jesus Christ is the son of God I want to say this very respectfully Jesus wasn't there for his own birth with an adult mind to record the detail
0: yeah now I guess in other like-
1: words he's the one being born as the babe in Bethlehem mm-hmm. I feel fairly certain by telling you that both Matthew and Luke get their details directly from the mouth of Mary. right? I assume Elizabeth and Zachariah have gone on to heaven at this point. Likely so. They're old people at the outset of the story yeah, and not really mentioned again in the story. So the people who know the details of the unusual birth, Joseph evidently dies, Mary's husband.
0: At some point, yeah.
1: Because he's no longer mentioned after the 12-year-old Jesus is found in the temple. There's no other occurrence of Joseph. Mm -hmm. They reference Joseph, you know, is not this Joseph and Mary's son. They're making references to Joseph, but he's nowhere to be found in the rest of the story. We only assume that he has passed away at that point. Yeah. So we do know Mary lived not only to the crucifixion resurrection scenes, but well beyond. Mm Mm-hmm. So the only plausible answer is Mary sat down with these apostles, these disciples of Jesus. And as they're spending years together, both during the ministry of Jesus and decades together after the ministry of Jesus. Yeah. Again, most of these gospels are not being written until 50s, 60s, 70s. They're being written much later. Yeah, You know, 25, 30, 40 years later, these writings are coming out. Mary gave them all of these details. She's the only one who knew about the private conversation in her house with Mm -hmm. Gabriel. Yeah. She knew about the encounter with Elizabeth and what happened in that moment. You see, and this is fascinating to me. So did she frame this in Ark of the Covenant language or did Luke? It's a great question. You know, or, one, one that we'll never really have the answer not, to. But. Not this side of eternity. We won't. Yeah. But we know how Luke translated it. Luke interpreted whatever Mary had told him and said, this is absolutely fascinating and clearly built that Ark language in the parallel his yeah so now let's stay with the story so matthew also has a backstory i think we've missed the point of matthew's backstory let me explain why so if you were reading a story about god keeping his word and sending his promise king mm-hmm. that's a very old testament story and so matthew's going to tie it firmly to the old testament and he's going to say let's talk about abraham for a minute okay you've got every jew's attention now okay he had children, and they had children, and they had children, and before you know it, then Matthew says, "And how about King David? Mm. He's a descendant of Abraham through the tribe of Judah." And then David had kids, and da, da, da. So in his genealogy, Matthew's putting out some very serious milestones. That's going to get everybody's here. Is father Abraham, and he begat Isaac, and he begat. Jacob and he begat, and they just go right down through the line till you get to David and then David and then they take you into the exile mm-hmm. and they leave you waiting for the king to come. And that's the way Matthew builds the genealogy. Now, here's the twist on it. Matthew's genealogy includes a handful of women. Which is notable and noteworthy. It's noteworthy. It stands out like sore thumb among genealogies. Yeah. And the women are not all Jewish. Mm. So now it really stands out like a sore thumb. And so here's the way this has been taught historically. It's been taught historically that the women in the genealogy are put there to say to you, look, here's four women of questionable character. So let's talk about who's in the story. The women in the story are Tamar, whom Judah, one of the 12 tribes, yeah. Judah treated his daughter-in-law Tamar as if she were a prostitute. He solicited, she solicited him, however you want to say it. Money was exchanged and sexual services were exchanged Yeah, and treated her as a prostitute. And because she was being mistreated, she dressed up like a prostitute. And anyway, it's a wild, wild story. Okay. And so Matthew puts her story right there in the genealogy. Yeah. And then when they come into the promised land, you remember the city of Jericho and they sent the spies in and they knew that spies were in the city. Right. And who was ultimately the one who rescued them they ran into a red light district mm-hmm. they ducked into a brothel run by Rahab yeah how would you like your whole history to be encapsulated in this moniker Rahab the harlot that's what we know her as yeah. for thousands of years you is. know
0: and you actually mentioned this kind of language on Sunday just we have to have some compassion for these biblical characters whose
1: all of their
0: laundry was aired out for the world to see for all of history
1: here's it- what's wild about Rahab though she hides the spies and the spies I say to her, because you've helped us. I mean, she's actually saying, listen, your God's going to conquer this city. I know it. Yeah. She's already kind of using these faith language about mm-hmm. Israel's God. And so the spies tell her, you just stay in the house. I want you to hang this red rope in the window. Yeah. I have a feeling it was, you know, it's always been preached as, you know, this symbolizes like the blood on the door of the Passover. Here's the blood of Jesus covering Rahab. No, I think it's probably the red light. Yeah. I think it's the red light that advertises she's a prostitute. Yeah. In the red light district. Sure. And here, put the red rope prominently in your window we'll remember we were saved by ducking ourselves into the brothel and you hit us Mm -hmm. and that you're really somebody of great character and your occupation belies your maybe emerging faith here yeah so matthew includes her in the genealogy of christ she ends up being the grandmother or the great grandmother of david she's in boaz's story so i guess when israel conquered jericho and the walls fell down and they went in and her and her family were the only survivors of that Mm -hmm. they folded her in and made her a part of Israel, even though she wasn't a Jew yeah. and said, okay, you're welcome to sojourn with us and be a part of the big family called Israel. And some lucky man married her and became part of David's lineage. And so you're reading these stories and you're like, okay, then the next thing that pops over here is you're reading about David who is having children through Bathsheba, mm-hmm. the wife of Uriah, the man he murdered yeah and so when you're reading these stories you're like these are three or four of the wildest tales of the old testament right woven in a cliff notes version right into the genealogy of jesus in matthew one and so this is always preached as see even the gentiles have access to god see god even likes soiled women he has mercy upon people of ill reputation mm. and it's always that's the treatment and the genealogy is always removed from the bigger story that's being told. Now, let me reconnect, if you were, the railroad cars of the genealogy and the story that's immediately following. Matthew tells the genealogy in this way not to show you here's four women of ill repute or whatever that God's going to have mercy on. That's not what's happening here. Mm -hmm. What's happening here is Matthew is about to tell you the wildest story you've ever heard. Forget Jericho and Rahab. Forget Judah with Tamar as a prostitute. Forget all of those crazy stories. I'm about to tell you a story that goes even beyond those stories, Mm. how a teenage girl is going to have the promised king that you've been waiting for, and she's a virgin, and she's going to conceive before she ever has any relations with a man. Yeah. I'm going to blow your mind with the story I'm about to tell. So before I tell it, I want to first remind you. That God's miracles are not a new thing in this family. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That God has worked in the nation of Israel Mm -hmm. in many different ways. You say that's a crazy story and doesn't belong in a religious narrative. So what Matthew says is, no, let me remind you what's already in our religious narrative. Yeah. Tamar, Judah, Bathsheba, Rahab. These are already Jewish stories that are part of the narrative. And in all of these, God took some very bizarre circumstances and worked his purpose to bring you a King David. Yeah. And to bring you to this moment now, we take the story of the Old Testament even further because now one more bizarre birth is about to happen. And then he unloads the birth. Which of is Christ. exactly
0: how he brings it up. He says, And this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. It's exactly the way that he structures the story. And it's funny because a lot of times when we read some of these genealogical accounts in the Bible, whether it's Old Testament or new, we just kind of gloss
1: over those moments because it's so... It feels tedious, but it's purposeful. They definitely did this on purpose. Yeah. And they're trying to set your mind up to receive the big news they're about to announce by conditioning you with what you already know to be true. Now, very clearly here, Matthew and Luke two, they both now are presenting Jesus as the old Testament Lord. Yeah. The
0: well, and, and you know that because Matthew, again, directly references Old Testament prophecy when he is speaking of Jesus coming and now, fulfilling that.
1: Here's what's interesting about this. Matthew is the one who goes to the Old Testament and makes an application of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. From all that I've read and studied, it seems that there is agreement that no one prior to this moment ever thought that the coming king would be born through a virgin. Wow! So no one reading the Old Testament Now, this is the consensus among theologians and Jewish writers and the Midrashas and all of the people looking for God to send his Messiah. Nobody expected that to be a virgin birth. They did not tie Isaiah chapter 7 to the Messiah being virgin born at some future point in history. Nobody was sitting back there saying, we're waiting for the virgin to have a baby. Because that sounds absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Nobody sits around saying, when you hear about a virgin having a baby, nobody's ever going to hear about a virgin having a baby. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Mm. That would have been the reply to that. Yeah. It was after the birth of Christ that Matthew- Is connecting the dots here. Is connecting the dots. Yeah. And Matthew is the one who says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel- And then he even puts in his text, which means God with us. God. God. Yeah. God is with us. Yeah. So it's very clear what Luke and Matthew have done. They've told us a fantastic story of the virgin birth. And they've told us not only about the fantastic nature of the conception of Jesus and the birth of Jesus, the dramatic story of the trip to Bethlehem and Herod and the executioner. And I mean that's not the fantastic part. The most fantastic part is they are calling him God. Yeah. Lord, they've equated the identity of Jesus born in Bethlehem to the Old Testament God of Israel Hmm. and said, God has done his magnum opus. What everybody's been waiting for has now happened. There's a new temple now. That's what Jesus is about to teach them. The presence of God is here in a very different way right now. Mm -hmm. Mary deserves our respect, not our worship mary had to be saved the same way you and i had to be saved by faith in jesus christ Mm -hmm. she looked to him as her savior and maybe she had some advantages over us in some ways because she knew yeah i would even
0: say how could any human know jesus the way that she did
1: just an incredible bond they would have had together as mother and son yeah she deserves our respect but worship is reserved only for god yeah and if i had met mary With Jesus in the womb of Mary and had known what I know right now, I might have revered that as holy ground in that moment. Mm -hmm. But when I meet Mary and I plan to, Jesus will be separate from Mary. Mm -hmm. She'll be a woman like any other woman. Yeah. And I think we can all hug her neck and say, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And we appreciate what you did to bring this all about. Thank you for your willingness. So that would be the fifth line then of the Apostles'
0: Creed. So far we've gotten through. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And then this next week, we're going to go into the next line. Suffered. Suffered under Pontius Pilate.
1: We're going now to the cross on Sunday. Yeah. And I'll tell the story of Pontius Pilate and why he's in the Creed
0: as you listen to these podcast episodes and as you listen and engage with our Sunday morning series over the apostles creed, we would love it if you would give any questions that you have to us so that we can have a chance to respond to them. As you saw, even in this episode, we love hearing feedback. We love using that as content that we can then develop and work together and work through as a church family. If you have any questions, comments or feedback, if you could, text those to 817-809-3040. It's such a blessing and an honor to continue these cornerstone conversations with you all.